Good morning, everyone. It's great to see a lot of people in here today, some people who I haven't seen for a little bit, and uh, the usuals. It's great to see the Johnstons here today, just trying to recover, just trying to pull through, yeah. It's nice to have you guys here. Um, are there any announcements that are not in the bulletin that anybody would like to share today? Anything that's not in the bulletin, Carol? Oh. Helen broke her arm last week. Oh, my goodness. You're just having a great time, huh? Yeah. Just to really enjoy it. Embrace the downtime and make her husband do everything. <laughs> Game night tonight at 6.30 to 8.30 or till whenever. You know, you just have to lock up after you're done. We might try and get the uh, playoff game tonight as well, playing in a corner, or at least keep updates going in case some of you are like, well, I can't come because of the game. Uh, we'll say, you got to be here anyways, because we'll have the game somewhere, even if it's in a closet somewhere, so the yelling can be kept to a minimum. Um, to go with uh, Sanctity of a Human Life Month, I want to give you a quick demonstration of how to use the sled argument. Has anybody ever heard of sled? S-L-E-D. I've taught it once here years and years and years ago, but I want to give you a reminder. Sometimes I would sit down on the bench in the park downtown and ask people, do you want to answer an easy, hard, or controversial question? And they would say controversial because it sounds really fun. And I would say, okay, what is the significant difference between a human being inside the womb and a human being outside the womb that would justify killing the one inside but not the one outside? If they made it through that question, because it sounds complicated, it basically means what's the difference between the baby in the belly and the baby when it comes out? Why can I kill this one in the belly and this one not in the belly? It's really hard to come up with a good answer, but people came up with some. So SLED is... Size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependency. These are the main differences between the baby inside and outside. So the question is, can I kill someone for those reasons? So somebody says, well, it's just very, very tiny. Well, I am six foot five. And so I would quickly ask them, you are smaller than me. Can I kill you? And they would say, no, that's size. Size, level of development, environment, degree of dependency. Okay. So I can't kill somebody because they're smaller than me. Okay, level of development is what? What does that mean? That means how developed is somebody? Well, I am more developed than my fresh 11-month-old baby, wherever she may be. Um, can I kill her? No, I cannot. How about a two-year-old? They're less developed. How about somebody who's on the verge of puberty? How about somebody who, you know, whatever that line is, you run out of options. So just because they're smaller or less developed doesn't mean you can kill them. How about if they're in a different environment than me? What if they're just in the other room over there? Can I shoot them then, because they're in the other room? No, you cannot shoot them then. That's still called murder. So just because they're in the womb doesn't mean that you can kill them for those reasons either. Well, what if they have a certain degree of dependency? Like, let's say they're super dependent on me. Let's say they're like a parasite in my belly. Then can I kill them? No, you cannot. I got six little parasites living with me right now, actually. And they all depend on me for a very long time, right? Um, and I can't kill any of them without going to prison. 
size, level of development, environment, degree of dependency are all not good reasons why you can kill somebody inside the womb. Number one reason though is because I am intrinsically valuable. I am valuable not because of what I do, but because in whose image I am created in. If I am only valuable because I can function in some positive way, that's a problem as soon as I can no longer function in that way because then I could kill off a whole swath of people. And so what abortion is, is the unjust taking of innocent human life, valuable because of who they are, created in the image of God. And there is no reason why we can kill them outside unjustly, and there's no reason why we kill them inside unjustly. And you should be very grateful that that is who God sees you as, is valuable, human beings from conception until the point of death. We're going to, today our mission's offering goes to UCAN, and I don't know if you read your bulletin or not, a lot of things have been happening there, Oops. and there was a video on YouTube that we can't get up here, but we're going to play the audio of the whole um, administration from UCAN speaking um, when they first lost, they've lost all the heat in their building. And um, they're all sitting in their coats and boots and scarves because they're still functioning. They're still working out of the building. And since then, if you look in your bulletin, it says they had their steam boiler quit permanently. And so um, they have gotten actually a grant now to pay for this um, HVAC system to be installed but when they were installing it and doing the duct work, they found asbestos. So then they had to put that on hold. And any remaining men who chose to stay at, the, at UCAN had to be sent out. They're staying in uh, area hotels or different places that they've provided. And so um, when they, they've been talking through Philippians and, and you know, thanking God in our circumstances, and, and they said, during this time... It's been interesting because they've had to walk the talk that they're teaching in these classes about these things, one right after another, keep happening. They're big things. They're expensive things. And do we trust God? And every time they bring it to the Lord, they pray with the guys, they pray with each other, and things are happening. And I just praise God to listen to their testimony and um, pray that as you give for you can, that um, you will meet the needs of people who are really helping meet needs for many others. Good morning. I'm Aaron. I'm the director here at the UCAN City Mission with my administration team. We just wanted to bring you a quick update of what's going on here and how the Lord's uh, working through our lives and amends. Well, we've been talking a little bit about fear and anxiety this new year and just how Philippians 4, 6 tells us not to worry about anything but to pray about everything. And so we are telling the Lord what we need and we're thanking him for all that he's done and we're communicating that with our men and we're trying to live it as well. Uh, yesterday we um, had our new HVAC team come and they're getting things installed for us, which is fantastic. However, the trade-off is we don't actually have a heat source for the next few weeks. And so we're just asking you to join with us in prayer for our staff and our guests here um, that we will continue to be able to serve 
uh, the men that are staying with us. Some of the men have been uh, relocated to some hotels, but we're going to be continuing to serve warm breakfasts and dinners for the men staying and those men that wish to come back and uh, be here with us, as well as offering opportunities for devotions and church and evening uh, streaming to take the word in and apply it to their lives. Amen. And we know that uh, even though with the blessings of God, there also comes tests, trials, and tribulations that we must exercise our faith in as we go through them. So the seeding problem that we have right now is nothing but a test of our faith. So we will ask you to join us in prayer also. Well, the Bible says that the fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. So all of you out there who's watching this video, if you can just join us in prayer or pray on your own time for the success of our You Can City mission and our guys and our staff, that would be awesome. And if the Lord lays anything on your heart, anything that you would like to help us with, if you're looking for more ways to get involved, we ask you to send us a direct message. Reach out to us. You can send me a personal email at um, youcanoutreach51 at gmail.com. Thank you and God bless. Good morning. I'm Aaron. I'm the director here at the UCAN City Mission with my administration team. We just wanted to bring you a quick update of what's going on here and how the Lord's uh, working through our lives and the men's. Well, we. <laughs> okay. We're going to sing our first hymn Glory to His Name, number 63. Glory to His Name. <laughs>
We'll be in 2 Peter chapter 3 today. Um, For a minute, in the very end of 2 Peter, Peter references Paul. And uh, so I was looking for a scripture um, in reference to Paul that is just interesting and ties the two people together. And I'm going to be reading from 2 Timothy, the whole chapter, chapter 3. And what it does is it shows you both kind of the ferocity of Paul um, in the same way that Peter is also heated about the people who are coming in and deceiving the people, about the wickedness around them. The way he talks does not really pull any punches, but also he talks as well about what Scripture is at the end of that. And we're going to talk about uh, what Scripture is a little bit today as well. So it kind of ties all these things in. You'll see a little bit of Peter and a little bit of Paul all mixed together. And it also shows you just the consistency of Scripture, kind of the abhorrence of evil, but also the grace and forgiveness and patience of Christ in dealing with sinners like us and making us his children as well. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to read all of chapter 3. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, having nothing to do with them, have nothing to do with them. This is interesting as well because um, when I reference this in 2 Peter, you'll see that some people take Paul's words and they twist them. And we'll reference that later as well, but hold on to that little (laughs) nugget there. They're the kind who worm their ways into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janes and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth. Men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, suffering, What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured? Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, while evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I just want to repeat that last 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Turn your hymn books to 688. Old that will be glory for me. 688. 
we do know that there is something for her after. So just have the family in your prayers. And then mm -hmm. her name was Annika Bannister. You could pray for uh, Jeremy Nellis's family, or Jeremy Nellis. Um, with some health issues. We'll just pray for that family and Lori. And you can pray for my appointment on Tuesday and Wednesday. It's a lot of information to absorb and deal with and make decisions. And I'm overwhelmed just reading the paperwork, let alone sitting in front of people and <laughs> going through stuff. So pray for that appointment Tuesday and Wednesday. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege to come together and worship you and fellowship together and to learn from your word. Um, we are grateful that we have the scriptures and that we can trust that they are your word, Lord, um, and that we can go to that as a source of um, knowing that it is true and that we can reflect on that in difficult times. We pray for this family of that Glenn is uh, related to Annika and the passing away of that little girl and the, the hurt that that causes. We also reflect upon the blessing that life is, even, even uh, those who the world may not see as valuable. We, we see the intrinsic value there and um, just help us to reflect that and to the world around us. Uh, we think of the city mission that we, we heard from and their situation with lack of heat and the challenges and obstacles that they've encountered with that. Uh, but we praise you in seeing the, the meeting of those needs happening. Help us to be a part of that. Um, help them to continue to serve you faithfully in the midst of difficulty. We pray for the Nellis family and the health issues there. And we just pray you be with them and uh, meet their needs and be with Lori. In that as well. We pray for Anita and all the challenges that come with all these doctor's appointments. I pray you be with her and Tom and that they would uh, be comforted by you and that they would just have wisdom as they have decisions to make and lots of information to, to take on. Um, we pray for Helen with her, her broken arm and uh, we pray for Scott, as he helps serve her and meet her needs in this time. Um, <coughs> we thank you for the opportunity to serve you and to worship you together. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> <coughs> okay, let's stand and sing our worship songs. We'll start with Cornerstone. Oh, 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for songs that help us lift you up, that help lift our spirits and remind us that you are in control. You are God who loves us. You have prepared a place for us, and while we're here, you walk with us. Thank you that you never leave us and you never fail us. Thank you for making us part of your family, that we can come together as a church family and worship you, sing songs, and hear your word preached, and that, Lord, you would work in our hearts and lives, that we might grow, and we might become more like your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this time together. We want to praise you with all that we do in Christ's name. Amen. Those ages four to seven, dismiss to junior church. You can go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. It's been a privilege to preach through this book and to do so with Greg and to continue to preach through the scriptures with everybody here. Um, just definitely want to thank you again for the gift that you gave to me and to Greg and to my father for taking this time out of our schedules to preach and to teach. And I know that we all enjoy it. And I know that we've all grown from it. And uh, so thank you for that. Let's pray together. Lord God, we just thank you once again for your word that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Help us to hide it in our hearts so we might not sin against you. Help us to use it as an encouragement and also as a standard to judge our own actions and others, whether it be true or false. Help us to use it to be discerning in our decisions day by day, but also to discern the teaching of people around us, whether it be true or false. Help us, Lord, to look forward to the day when you return, but also to be patient in waiting. Help us to remember that to you a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day, and help us to uh, live in light of that uh, to your glory, both in rest and fervency, all at the same time. We thank you that your patience is uh, leading people to repentance. Your kindness and forbearance is leading your chosen ones to you. And we thank you that you are patient with us, that you have waited this long. We also pray for those who are here today who may not have put their faith and trust in you. They're still wondering uh, if you are true, if you are real, if there really is forgiveness, if you can forgive all sin and what you would have us to do. God, we pray that their eyes would be open, that they would know the truth, that they would repent of their sins and put their whole faith and hope in what you have done to save the worst sinners. Thank you for living a righteous life in our place, for dying a death that we deserve, and for rising again. And thank you for coming again. In Christ's name, amen. So as we looked at 2 Peter chapter 3 and the rest of 2 Peter, Peter is very intentional to let the people know 
Here is where you stand with Christ if you are a follower. You are his beloved. You are his chosen. You are his elect. You are his children specifically. But there are people who are not, whether not yet or not ever, and they like to distort the truth. They like to creep in and they like to pull away people from the faith. They love to revel in the daytime, the scripture was saying. They don't just do it at night when no one's watching, but they're so proud and arrogant and boastful in their sin that they would even sin during the day and say, uh, this is great. Do it with us. Trust me. Look at us. There's no judgment. There's no condemnation here. Christ is not, in fact, going to return. Uh, you only live once anyway, so... And Peter is saying, no. These people are wicked. They're like a mist that comes in, but it carries no rain, even though the fields are parched, even though the land is thirsty, even though the people here need forgiveness and peace and rest. They say, oh, come here, rest here. But instead, all they do is heap more burdens on them to carry, more sin, more condemnation, and Christ wants to offer them forgiveness. And Peter is angry. Peter is angry because they're saying Christ will not return, and he shows throughout 2 Peter chapter 3 that Christ is going to return. If you look at the Old Testament, you'll see it. If you look at the scriptures now, you'll see it. If you've heard any of the stories, Christ said it. If you heard about the angels, they said it. And so be encouraged by that. And the people say, okay, we believe, but when? Well, we don't know when, because God is being very patient with all of us. And he will come when it is time. And now we were talking to Sunday school class this morning about how we live in such a place that it's not often, some of you maybe, but it's not often we say, life is so miserable, come Lord Jesus right now. But there are people all over the world and at this time, as they're coming to faith in Christ, losing their families, losing their towns, losing their children because of their faith in Christ, they are saying, come Lord now. Come now, it's so wicked here. The Romans terrible. Look what they did to Christ and now they're just chasing us around from town to town. Paul was one of the people going and gathering up the Christians to throw them in prison, men, women, and children alike. That's who Paul was. Peter himself was asked multiple times, hey, are you with this Jesus guy? And fearing for his life said, no, I don't even know him. And then when Christ came and healed that relationship, Peter becomes one of the foundations of the church. And in this section of scripture, in fact, they use Peter or Peter is used to say Paul's writings as well. Remember the murderer of the church? His writings as well are scripture. So the church is being formed, but the pressure and persecution is great. And they are saying, when, Lord, will you come? Here in the United States, where's the pressure? Where's the persecution? We get a taste. Uh, we mostly cry out maybe because we're getting old and in pain and saying, Jesus, when will you come? Uh, but it's not the same as like it was there for us, but for other parts of the world, they are crying the same thing. In Israel and Palestine and all over the world where people are saying, when will Christ put an end to this? When will judgment come? When will freedom come? When will Christ return? Come now. And God is saying, I'm being very patient. Just like I was patient with you, I'm being patient with many, many others who will come to faith in Christ. So rest and trust and encourage and meet together until the Lord returns. This is what Peter is saying. He's being patient for your sake. 
He's being patient for the sake of others who will come to Christ. And in light of Christ's return, then, how should we live? We should live without spot or blemish as much as is possible, but fully resting in the spotless one who is Jesus Christ, without spot or blemish. Resting in knowing that when you stand before God at the end of the day, you will be seen in robes of white. You will be seen only in the righteousness of Christ. Rest in that and continue to live for Christ with that strength, with that power. Not the power of guilt as motivation, but the power as freedom to serve Christ. Freedom to give up your life. The freedom that you never had when you were a slave and in bondage to sin and death. As we move on to 2 Peter 3, 15 to 18 specifically, Peter has some closing reminders and a couple little loose ends to tie up here. He reminds them again, remember this, verse 15, count the patience of our Lord as salvation. I know you're begging for Christ to come, but the patience of the Lord is salvation. Just as it was for you, it is for so many others. So be patient as the Lord is patient, hoping that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance and faith in Christ. Peter refers back again to the patience of the Lord that we talked about before and reminds them again that this is for salvation. Our desperate desire for Christ to return should be tempered by a desire for more people to be added to the kingdom of Christ as well. When I worked at a rehab in New Hampshire, it was a great testimony to the grace of God in many parents' lives how patient they were with their children. Their children who were addicted to all sorts of things, who had stolen right off of their uh, dressers, the money that they needed to get high again. When I was at that rehab, you would hear story after story of child taking from parent and parent forgiving, and child taking from parent and parent forgiving over and over. This is Christ with us, patient, forbearing, loving, hoping, all of these things is who God is, and he is a model for us to be. But there is a time when that ends, but God is being very patient, and we are learning to be like Christ. But what a greater glory, what a greater patience of God. It's great for those people and for you as parents to be patient. And it's almost, in a way, we say, well, I'm patient because God is patient with me. Well, God is patient because that is who he is. See, oftentimes we're patient because, well, somebody was with me. And we've learned that. And I'm patient because Christ is with me. But God is patient because that is who he is. Patience, forbearance. These are all parts of his character. Perfectly patient. It's interesting, too, just to think about your own lives. How long should I do X, Y, or Z? How long does my kid live in my basement? How long before I got to kick him out? How long before I got to, how long before? God knows perfectly what you need. His patience is perfectly worked out. His forbearance is perfectly met out for each person in here. And this is great. Count it all patience. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul. This is where you see it comes in. Here's Paul he's going to talk about here. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just like Paul does. 
Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him by who? By God. So Peter's saying, listen, Paul's talked about this as well. That the patience of God is good for you, is your salvation. And there's one instance in particular in Romans chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul says this. Paul says, do you suppose, O man... You who judge those who practice such things, meaning practice sin or practice wickedness or whatever it is, and yet you do them yourself, that you'll escape the judgment of God? What he's saying is when you look around the world and you see people sinning and you are up on your high horse saying, I can't believe you would do this, I can't believe you would do that, do you think also that you would escape the judgment of God, the wrath of God? Do you who point your fingers do the same thing as well? Be careful, he says, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you think that God is being slow because he just wants you to sin more? Do you think God is being patient because he wants you to just go about your business and sow your wild oats a little bit longer? Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to what? Repentance. Same thing Peter's been talking about. God's kindness, his patience, his forbearance is to lead you to him, not into deeper sin. Where is Christ? He is being patient with you, that you would repent, that you would turn, that you would mend your relationships with people here, that you would be at peace. It says that he would come back and find you at peace. This is what he wants to do for you. There was just maybe a month or two ago, I'm sitting in our room where a TV is. I got my boys sitting around me. Maybe the girls were there too, or maybe they're doing homeschool or something. But I said to the boys, okay, boys, you need to go out there and pick up all of your stuff in the living room, the dining room, the kitchen, the hallway, wherever it is. And then when you're done with that, come back and we'll watch a movie. And they're like, okay, no problem. They run out 30 seconds back, boom, on the couch. I said, okay. Now imagine I call mom right now and say, Hey, Mom, see if you can find any boys' stuff out there. Do you think she'll find anything? And the boys, like, their eyes get huge. And they sprint out, and they find, like, 30 more things that they've left out there. And I had told them ahead of time, if Mom finds even one thing out of place, you will go to bed. It could have been one in the afternoon. I don't know. But that's where I was at, and that's where Mom was at, and that's how it goes sometimes. So I said, okay, good job. Time number two, I'll give you one more chance because I got some forbearance and I got some patience and I got some grace. So this is chance number three. Let's see what you can do. And they go out again and I swear to you they find even more stuff than they started with. And then finally they come back in and I say, you good? They say, we're good. Like 100% we're good. Okay. I don't even think I made anybody check, but I was pretty sure they were scared enough that they had found every speck they'd ever dropped since living in the house at that point. Right, because it is the kindness of the parents, the forbearance of the parents, the kindness that I want to lead them to do good things. Not necessarily the punishment, is the kindness. I'm not being slow because uh, I hate them, and I'm not being slow because I want them to have a lot of time to do terrible things and make more messes. I'm being slow because I want them to do what's right. I want them to repent, to turn their thinking, to see with eyes wide open and do what I've asked them to do. God is also patient with us. 
and gracious to us. He wants us to mend the relationships. He wants us to run from our addictions. He wants us to flee sexual immorality now, not bury ourselves in more of it. He's not being slow so that we can keep on sinning so that grace might abound. He doesn't want us to, like it says in verse 4 of Romans here, do you presume on the riches of his kindness? Do not presume on the riches of God's kindness. That kindness is leading you to run from your sin, not to dive deeper into it. God's patience, it leads us to repentance. His slowness is not without a cause. This is a great trick if you ever have kids and you just want a little peace and quiet. You just say, hey, it's time for bed. Why don't you go get ready upstairs? And they disappear and they are super quiet so that you forget that they even exist up there so they can stay up for like the next 12 hours. And parents already are glad that they're upstairs and in silence. And we really don't care how long they stay up as long as they stay up there. Yeah, plug your ears, Sayla. <laughs> well, there's a certain amount of forbearance that we love for our sake, but God's reasons are perfect. He waits not for selfish motives, but for your good. For your good is why he is patient with you, forgiving with you. He needs nothing from you. He doesn't need you to do better for himself. He wants you to do better for you, for your good. And by nature, that gives more glory to God. By nature. Not more glory to you, more glory to God. And he even speaks of that more in here, and we'll touch on that in just a second. So again, count the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom that God has given him. So why is Paul speaking these things? Because God has given him wisdom. Paul's life is a testimony to the grace of God working in somebody's life regardless of their desire to be with him in the moment. What do I mean by that? Paul had no desire to be with Christ. He wanted to kill everybody who put their faith and trust in Christ and were leading people to Christ. And then God took him and broke him on the road to Emmaus so that he had no other desire but to follow Christ. And so the wisdom that was given to Paul later was only from God. See, Paul was smart, but he was not wise. He knew the scriptures, but he did not understand them. And when God opened his eyes, he saw Christ throughout the scripture. When God opened his eyes, he spoke with the Pharisees and he demolished their arguments. Why? Because he was smart? No, because of the wisdom that God had given to him. When you understand the scriptures and know the scriptures, when your heart has been changed by the gospel, that is because God has given you that wisdom and understanding. Not because you're smarter, not because you spent 15 years in seminary, but because God has given you the wisdom to understand it and to pass that on. And therefore, Paul could be humble. Paul could say, I am the chief of sinners. He can say that God has given me every good thing. This is important for us to remember as well. So he says to them, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people twist to their own destruction. 
So ignorant and unstable people, they're taking the words of Peter, they're taking the words of Paul, they're taking even the words of Christ, and they're distorting them. They're just using a piece. We have all done that a ton of times. A ton of times. Your parents specifically say to you, you need to go to bed at 8. And you're like, I heard you say 8, but what I also heard was, if I am really slow at brushing my teeth, I can stay up as late as I want. If I'm really slow at eating my ice cream, we'll just push it a little bit. Right? You start to take the truth that you know and twist it to get what you want. And we all have done this at times and continue to at times. We take what we hear and we twist it so that we can ease our conscience a little bit. There's an example that's blatant in Scripture that, again, is an example maybe Peter was thinking about where Paul writes to the Corinthians. <clears throat> he had previously talked to them about this issue, and you actually heard it in the Scripture I read before in Timothy. Um, but what it was is, the people were told, hey, I don't want you to hang out with sexually immoral people, greedy, drunkards, whatever. And they're like, great, we won't. So they started just keeping to themselves in their little communes, taking what they heard and twisting it just a little bit. Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, and says this, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or the idolaters. Since then, you need to leave the world. So these people are trying to, like, commune it, not talk to anybody, right? They're saying that everybody out there is terrible, we're all good in here. And what he says is this. I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, who calls himself a brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality, greed, is an idolater, or a viler, or a drunkard, or a swindler. Don't even eat with them. He's saying you got it all backwards. You twisted it. You thought I meant don't go out there? No, go out there. Share the gospel. But when you come together, this is what you need to do. What, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church who you're supposed to judge? God judges those outside. You purge the evil ones from among you. What is that? That is church discipline. That is what your elders and deacons do here in this church from time to time is recognize a sin in someone's life that has become evident. And we will speak to that person and say, what you need to do has to change because it is not good for you. It's not glorifying to God, and that will grow into the lives of everyone else here. If they repent, great. If they do not, you bring more, and you bring it up to them again. Hey, we've all seen it. We all know it. You need to stop. If they do not again, you bring it up to the whole church and say, this is what this person has been doing. We have talked to them, and they are rebellious and hard-hearted, and we do not want you to think that that's okay. And so in order for them to be restored, they need to leave so they can see the way of their sin and return to us. You see, the people had it backwards. They had twisted what Paul was saying to say that, uh, don't hang out with anyone else there, come in here. Maybe those were false teachers, maybe they wanted to control people, maybe they wanted to start a cult, who knows? But it's so easy for us to do the same thing. 
so easy to turn on CBN or TBN, whatever the TV shows are where all the preachers are going, and with undiscerning eyes and undiscerning ears, listen to everything that they're peddling and take it in as gospel when it's not. Sounds good. Sounds like it's coming, coming from a Christian, and some of it is. And some of it's a nightmare. Every time they want you to sow a seed promising that you're going to get 10, 15, 4 billion back in return, run away from that nonsense. Be careful. There's a lot more than that that people are bringing in. And they're warning of it then, and we should warn of it now as well. People are going to twist the scriptures. Notice as well at the end of verse 16, and this is a big scripture that many preachers have touched on, and it's important for you to understand. This scripture is important because it should be the foundation of your Christian life as you look at the scriptures. The end of verse 16 says, they twist all these scriptures to their own destruction, and they twist Paul's specifically letters to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. What's he saying? What he's saying is Paul's words are equivalent to Scripture. So the Old Testament that the Jews loved, the Old Testament the Gentiles were learning to love, he's saying Paul's words are the same. Scripture. The words I'm saying now, Scripture. Paul's words, Scripture. People are twisting the Scripture. The understanding of what Scripture is is very important, and Paul spoke of it in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that we read this morning, that all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for rebuke, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that every man may be fully equipped for every good thing, every good work. So what is being said here is that Paul's words, equivalent to Scripture, are being twisted, and they should not be. And as you read your scripture and as you begin to put it on and to understand it and to communicate that to other people, what you will find is this. And I've had this said to me multiple times. Jesus is a really nice guy, but Paul is really mean and angry. I like Jesus, but I don't know about Paul. And if you are what's called like a red-letter Christian... That's a big problem because your theology is, well, Jesus' words in red, those are the important ones, and the rest kind of are maybe important. These hold all the weight. These ones, questionable. Red-letter Christian is a big problem. All of Scripture is written in red. Jesus is the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the Word. So all Genesis through Revelation is Christ. It's all Christ speaking. It is God breathing into the apostles. It is God using the apostles in their own language, in their own dialect, in their own handwriting, in their own way of speaking to give the truth of God to the people. And so what happens is you go, well, Jesus never talked about whatever the topic is. Paul did, but he's not Jesus. Paul is speaking for Jesus. What Peter is saying is what he says is scripture. So 1 Corinthians, Scripture, Romans, Scripture, all these places, Philippians, Galatians, Scripture, 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 equivalent to Christ. 
How do we know about the Old Testament? Well, Jesus followed the Old Testament and called it Scripture. This is very, again, very important as you study the Scripture. They are all red letters. They are all God speaking. They are all the Word of God. And so as you study it, all of it has the same gravitas. So read it in context. Read it in its time. Apply it appropriately in your life. And use it. Don't be afraid to use it. All parts of it. Every inch of it. People are very confused in that way. And we ought not to be confused in that way. And I think Peter knows that as well. And points out, just like the other scriptures, Paul also gets his scriptures twisted as well by other people. Verse 17. You, therefore... Beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your stability. Peter's saying, I have warned you. I've warned you before. I'm warning you again. I've warned you ahead of time. Know this beforehand. Take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. It's the same in any area of life. I give so many illustrations of my kids, but it's what I'm swimming in right now. Um, But all of our lives were the same way. Your parents would say, hey, it's going to be really cold today. Bring a coat. And you'd run around getting ready. One more reminder. Bring a coat today. Kids would be running around. You're going out the door. Don't forget your coat. You get in the car. No coat. It's too late. We're gone. Done that a billion times with my kids. It's too late. It's your own fault. I have warned you many, many times. He's giving them one more chance. One more chance. No, You know this beforehand. I'm warning you now. I'm warning you again. Take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Going off the rails. Following some weird thing. Not applying it to scripture. Just trusting whatever the guy says. Being too lazy to crack it open yourself or to seek wise counsel. Instead, you're just like, well, it must be good because he said Jesus. Everybody who says Jesus must be awesome. I had a friend, (coughs) his name was Phil, and he lived on the island with me, and we hung out all the time. And it took me years of sharing the gospel for him to finally uh, do what looked like was putting his faith and trust in Christ. He was baptized in the church that I went to. Um... He started picking up different shifts at work, and he wasn't there in church very often um, because he just had to work certain shifts that kept him away. And whether that was the problem or not doesn't matter. But the point was, I didn't see him for a while, um, but I was doing a lot of work with the Jehovah's Witnesses, going to their meetings and sharing the gospel with them, tracking them down before they get to somebody else's house and chatting with them, you know. And uh, one time I saw him and another Jehovah's Witness going door to door. So this guy that I had shared the gospel with, that I had uh, done, worked with for so long, was now knocking door to door. So I would say, well, he either was never with Christ or hopefully one day, after becoming unstable and pulled away by this self-righteous and wicked religion, one day, hopefully, he will return to the faith. But as of now, he got pulled away. Like, what a crazy thing to go from Christ has paid it all. Two, Christ has paid a bit. Christ has paid some. 144,000 people, they all get to heaven. Everybody else, you just stay on this boring earth. 
just crazy. But that is, like if you think, well, that would never be me, be careful. Be careful. That could be you in, in a myriad of ways. I would never cheat on my wife. Be careful. I would never steal. Be careful. I would never. Whatever you're about to say, I would never. Be careful. Because you might. And the goal is for each one of us here to encourage, to rebuke, to love, to meet together, to pray, to sing, and then to go out again. To be in the world, but not of it. To come here again and to continue until the day that Christ returns. So be careful that you don't lose your stability, your foundation in Christ, but that you would have that foundation in Christ like we talked about before and that you would build off of that foundation, which is salvation in Christ, build off of that. And then grow in the grace, verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen, it says. As Peter prepares the people to continue in Christ, he does a few things very well. First, he points out, like we've said before, the gospel affirmations to them. Here is the gospel. Here is who you are in Christ. This is where we start. The rest of this means nothing if the foundation is not Christ. So he starts this way. He builds them up in the faith and assurance of Christ and the perseverance of the saints and the chosen by God and all these things he builds them up in. And then he warns them. He points out false teachers are creeping in. Pay attention. This is what they're going to teach, but this is the truth. Pay attention. And he combats the lie with the truth. So you should know the lie and you should know the truth. When you're growing up a lot and you're young, you say, well, my parents said don't do this. My parents said that's bad. My parents said this is wrong. And that's a good hedge, but the best hedge is my parents said that's wrong, and this is why it's wrong. This is why Scripture says it's wrong. Now it's yours. Now when you walk out and your parents aren't staring at you anymore, you go, that is wrong, and I know exactly why it's wrong. Because Christ says this. Because Paul says this. Because Peter says this. Because God says this. And here's why. Peter does all of that. He says, go to the scriptures, old, new, and you'll find the truth. Be buried in the truth so that you can live in Christ. Fourth, he encourages the people to grow even more. There's not a point where you plateau and you're like, I know it all. I don't need to grow in Christ anymore. I'm as patient as I can be. I'm as loving as I can be. I'm as giving as I can be. Like, how does it get any better than where I am right now? That's the most arrogant thing you could say. Instead, you should be saying, continue to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The more you recognize your sin, the more you love Christ. The more you recognize his patience and forbearance, the more you love Christ. And then the more patient you are, the more forgiving you are, the more generous you are, the more humble you are. And all these things continue to grow until he comes again. And we... Don't become those puffed up, arrogant, conceited people in Christ. Instead, we're in Christ humble, offering the same thing we were offered in Christ. As you wrap up 2 Peter, we must remember who we are in Christ, how we can get led away from Christ, and how we can encourage others in Christ, how we can open their eyes to both the truth and the lie in Christ. What scriptures are important for 
They're not just to be read when you're a kid, not just to be read when you're old, but to be read and studied and lived out throughout your life as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is how you stand firm in the faith. That is how you become at peace with God and other people. That is how you find hope and rest right here. And we as a church ought to be vigilant in our understanding of the truth and our refusal to believe a lie and then continue to live in the world and not be of it and offer them the same thing because the patience of God is leading them to repentance. It is the kindness of God that leads them to repentance and that's what we should offer and warn the people who are out there. There is no hope in anything other than Christ and there is no joy in anything other than Christ that will last. And this life is not all there is and Christ is going to return. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your scripture and the opportunity to study it, to read it, to live it together. Help us to love one another. Help us to encourage one another until the day comes when we see you face to face. God, we thank you for the earth and the heaven that you've given to us now, and we praise you for the earth and the heaven that are coming later. We thank you that you go to prepare a place for us and that you will come again. God, we just thank you for your ministry to us in the Holy Spirit. Help us to align our lives with your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your hymn books to 52. This is all about God. To God be the glory. Let's all stand and sing number 52. glory great things he hath done so loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his life and atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in praise the lord praise the lord let the earth hear his voice Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he hath done. Oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood, to every believer the promise of God the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives praise the Lord praise the Lord let the earth hear his voice praise the Lord praise the Lord let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he hath done. Great things he hath taught us, great things he hath done. 
Rejoicing through Jesus the Son, but purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he hath done. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word that we might know you and we might understand more about you, and especially, Lord, understand your patience, your grace, your love. We're grateful that you have taken the time, the effort, to pay for our sin through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that because of that, we can have a relationship with you, and through your scripture, learn more and more about how to live in a way that will bring glory and honor to you. Thank you that your word teaches us how to live, that we might live best in a world that may not desire to know you. So Lord, as we leave today, might we grow? Might we have grown to understand that we need to live in a way that the world will see Christ and know that you are patient wanting others to come to know you. We praise you today for your word, for the opportunity to join together and praise you. We thank you because of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You are dismissed.